Welcome to the La Dolce Vita Show, a woman's guide to living a fearless and fabulous life. My name is Heather Pickin, and I am here to give you that winning formula so that you can get clear on your vision, stay true to your values, and break through those mental walls. Check out my free resources at heatherpickin.com. This podcast is brought to you by Fierce Femme Wine, a woman's wine that inspires dialogue for change. Visit fiercefemme.com. So let's get ready as we uncover the formula to your success in business, career, and fabulous life. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the La Dota Vita Show, a woman's guide to a fearless and fabulous life. Now, today, I really do have a special episode talking about a really important topic, um, women um, in the past and how we can learn for the learn from them, uh, particularly uh, a book called Ask a Suffragist. Uh, and I think this topic is really important, so we're going to dive right into it today. The author is April Young Bennett, uh, and you know we're we're going to go into. You can learn more about her bio, but I just kind of want to jump into our topic today about learning what women went through in the past, like really drawing from their strength, as long you know as also with men as well. Um, but. I, I really feel that today we're living, I always say like we're living in an interesting time, trying to navigate around uh, some of the challenges that we're going through uh, with women. So April, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, I am so happy to be here. Yeah, so let's let's talk about, first off, some women may have not heard the term uh, suffragist. So can you briefly describe what that is? You bet. Right now we tend to talk about suffragettes, which I like because it's so much easier to say than suffragists without sounding like you have a list. But back in America, when the suffragists were working, they called themselves suffragists. Suffragette was a term that was usually used by women in Great Britain who were advocating for their rights. And so I'm trying to honor the way they refer to themselves, and I call them suffragists. One thing that's nice about that term is that suffragist isn't a female-only term. It also refers to men, and there were many men involved in the feminist movement in America who worked for women's rights. I love it. Yeah, very, very easy explanation for those women that are listening that uh, might not understand that and, and why this uh, work is so important. So before we go into that, you know, what was the reason behind wanting to write this book? I didn't set out to write a book. I said I was an activist. I was an activist working on very many feminist causes. And I started noticing things that were happening to me that reminded me of things from history. For example, I marched with a group of about 500 women that I helped organize together to attend a male-only meeting of, a, of our faith and a request entrance and they said no you can't come in but here's what we'll do we'll let you listen over the internet and that reminded me of a similar thing that happened to lucretia mott and elizabeth katie stanton when they attended the world anti-slavery convention they were not allowed to enter because they were women and they were said then they said here's what we'll do here's a compromise 
we'll let you listen from the balcony behind a curtain so you can't participate, but you can hear us. And I realized that a lot of the things that were happening to me had already happened to other women and all, other women had already dealt with these issues. And I wanted to know more about them. And so I started looking into what our feminist foremothers had already done, how they had handled situations like this. And that was really the birth of this book. Wow. So, so basically kind of looking at some of your own challenges and, and women today are, are facing, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, issues with reproductive uh, rights for their health and, and all of that. So when you're putting out this book, how important is it? Like, what do you want women to walk away with after they, they read this book? I hope that as we know our history more, we'll be able to sort of take some tips. We can, we can see these women as mentors and advisors who can help us in our modern feminist journeys and our modern activist journeys, because they've already been through it. And so we can learn some things from them and we don't have to recreate the wheel so much. Also, they weren't perfect people and they did make some mistakes, but hopefully as we know our history and we know what those mistakes were, we can avoid repeating those mistakes and we can learn from their, the problems they faced and the things that they learned, and we don't have to keep repeating the same mistakes over and over. Mm, yeah, a absolutely. Now, when you were researching this book, I mean, I, I was reading this and there was a lot of uh, thought that went into this book, a lot of research. There were pages. When I was looking at all of the citations, like pages and pages of citations, I'm just kind of curious, how long did it take you to put this book together? Well, like I said, when I started out, I didn't know I was writing a book. I started out just doing research for my own benefit to help me as a feminist and as an activist. And I would say that I was doing that for about two years before I actually realized, you know, with all of this thing, all these things I'm learning, I should share these things and turn it into a book so other people can, can find out too. And so it was probably about two years after that that I spent actually working on transforming all of this research I had into a book. So it was about five, four years in the making. And during that entire time, I was a very busy person doing lots of activism. And so, yeah, it took a while. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So as you were doing the research with these women, uh, who really stood out the most uh, as far as some of the things that they were fighting for, the things that they endured, and, and who you were most impressed by? There were so many women who really impressed me. I think the first one who really attracted my interest was Lucy Stone. And the reason why is because she was one of the most famous activists of her time. And unfortunately, in our American school system, I had never heard of her. And I just couldn't believe it when I started reading about her life and how exciting it was and how much she did. And I really related to her because I was reading about her when she was 34 years old. She met Henry Blackwell, who, late, who was also an activist and later became her husband. And I was reading about their romance, which was so interesting to me. I kind of felt like I was, you know, reading their letters and kind of snooping. And it was so fun to hear about them. At the time, I was 34, and I really did relate to that because we were the same age and going through a lot of the same things as feminists. And so she was one of the first who really attracted my interest. But after that, I got to know many others, and, it, and it's been exciting to get to know these women and men. Mm, I, I love that. Yeah, it's, a, it's so interesting to go back in time to think about 
some of the challenges that they face, like what were going through their, their minds as they were navigating around these issues. And one of the things I was reading in the book, and I don't have it right in front of me, but it was, it was talking about where some people were for women's rights. You also saw the opposite. So some women were for uh, being a feminist and you also saw the opposite. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that in, in your research. Yeah, I think one really good example of that is Catherine Beecher, who is just so many contradictions, because she was one of the very first American women to actually get involved in activism. She started a petition drive for women. It was protesting the Indian Removal Act, which of course was a terrible act in which um, indigenous peoples were forced from their homes and forced to move west. And so she started a petition drive to stop this at a time when women weren't expected to be involved in politics at all. And so it was just a completely strange, bizarre thing to everyone that she was doing. And she was pretty apologetic about it herself. She was almost embarrassed about the activism she was doing. And she she kind of wrote in the petition, I recognize that I'm being unladylike here, but this is a really important circumstance. And her action actually inspired many other women who became activists, people like Angelina Grimke, who became a wonderful activist. But then when Angelina became an activist, Catherine was like, whoa, what are you doing? Stop. I know I started that petition drive. It was an exception. It was kind of an unusual circumstance. But I don't think women should do this usually. <laughs> I think women should, you know, keep their place. You know, we have certain ways of communicating and certain ways of persuading men to do the right thing. We don't usually do activism and we shouldn't. That's just not our place. And so there were people who had really mixed feelings about this and didn't know what the right way forward, I think. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, when I was reading that in the book, I'm like, that's really, you know, that's really interesting. And we, I think we can also see that uh, a little bit today, maybe not as much, but there are some women that um, don't feel that they should have rights for some reason. I mean, I, I find a very small percentage, but let, let's talk about, uh, let's kind of tie this book into what's happening in the world today with women, do you feel that we are uh, being strong advocates for ourselves? Do you find that we can do a little bit better? Like, what, what is your opinion? I think we are in a time of retrenchment, but if you know the history, you know that the rights are cyclical, right? I, we, we like to think that we're just progressing forward and getting more and more rights as we go and becoming stronger. But if you look at history, yes, we do definitely get more rights and human rights do expand over time. But usually it's a process of two steps forward, one step back. And so you'll see a little bit of retrenchment that will happen along the way. And instead of moving straight forward, there'll be more of a kind of a spiraling cycle where you go mostly forward, but then a little backward. And I think that we are in a time of retrenchment. One of the things that's exciting about these in times of retrenchment is that's really when people start thinking about human rights and it gets people excited about human rights and it gets more people involved. And so you see the movement expanding. And now there's people involved in feminism who don't fit the profile of what you might usually think of when you think of a feminist. You, we have more diverse people who care about these issues and they're meeting with people who aren't like them, who are diverse. 
And so you just see brand new ideas coming because more people with more backgrounds are getting involved. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that about more people getting involved now more than ever. Uh, people are now like really trying to understand the constitution. Whereas before, I think we were kind of lazy about it. Like what really are our rights and why isn't the ERA ratified yet? You know, it's like, these are questions that I think every woman uh, and man should be discussing, right? Don't you agree? Absolutely. Um, one of the people in my book, Ernestine Rose, was the first to introduce the concept that women's rights are human rights. And so if we see a time when women's rights are being hedged in on and kind of brought down, that's a bad sign for humanity in general. And so we all need to keep on top of that. That's also a good thing for us as feminists to remember about maybe other disadvantaged groups. One of the problems that they kept on having in history was sometimes racism would kind of come into the movement and they would start caring about white women's rights, but not so much about other women. And so when we're looking at human rights, if we care about women's rights, that means we care about human rights. We have to care about everyone regardless of their race or socioeconomic status. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. And I find that women today are definitely more compassionate. They want to include uh, every everyone. And so when you're looking at what we can do as individuals, what would you suggest, woman that's listening to this right now, that feels maybe outraged with what is going on uh, in our country today, what, what are some of the first steps that, that she can do to be proactive? Some of the things our feminist foremothers did in the past is they made sure their voices were heard. And one way they did that was they came to places they weren't welcome. Even if they weren't allowed to speak, they were there, people saw them, they saw that they were trying to enter, they saw how much they cared, and it made a difference. The same was true for petitions. There was a time when they were sending in petitions and Congress got so sick of petitions, they said, we're not gonna read these things. Don't send us any more petitions. We, are, we, we have made a rule that we do not read petitions. And so they sent in more of them. And, they, and the Congress, they kept their word. They did not read the petitions, but they saw all the paper arriving in their offices. They saw so much paper. They knew exactly what these women were trying to say. And so things like that, don't wait for an invitation. Don't wait for someone to want to hear what you have to say. Just say what you need to say. And we are fortunate to live in a time when there are so many venues where we can raise our voices. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And we see now that more women are running for office. We have more women in Congress. I mean, it, it is to me, like, I, I look at both sides, like it is a challenging time, but at the same time, I really feel it is pushing us to kind of bridge this gap of, of equality. Do you, do you kind of feel the same way, like kind of uh, seeing that duality play out? Right, yeah, whenever there's a little period of retrenchment, the good news is that it gets people excited. It gets people doing things. People start organizing. The women start running for office, which is something we still need a lot more of. It's great that we have more women in Congress than ever before. However, we still need to keep in mind that they're only a quarter of the people in Congress, whereas we're half of the people in the nation. So, so we still need to keep working on that. And that's another case where I think we need to make sure we're not waiting for invitations. Um, one thing that studies have shown when it comes to women running for office is that women have tendency as I think you would be a good candidate, and then they'll consider it. 
Whereas men don't care if anyone else thinks they're a good candidate, they'll just put their name in the pot. So while, so there's two things we can do with that as women. First of all, if we feel like we have something to say, if we feel like we could make a difference, we should run for office. We don't need to wait for someone to ask us or invite us. Men don't. There's no reason to wait for that. On the other hand, as women, when we see one of our colleagues who is a woman who we think could make a difference, invite her, tell her so. Say, I think you should run for office because the studies show that women are more likely to do so if they have that kind of support. Mm. Yeah, you make, you make a great point. Uh, being proactive, just going after it and not asking for permission. I find a lot of women hold themselves back and they're kind of waiting for that right time. So really encouraging each other to say, come on, let's do it, let's do it. There's an organization uh, that I'm involved with that I've contributed to called She Should Run. And it, it's just, a, it's such a great platform. So even if you don't want to run for office, you can still be uh, active in, in different ways, like contributing to different organizations that do support women that are running for office. Absolutely. There's so many ways to contribute and make your voice heard. And I think we also need to keep in mind that a lot of men are allies of the feminist movement. I, I'm a person who believes that men can be feminists. So male feminists, encourage them to support them, help them. And we can all work together to make this world a more equitable place. I love that you mentioned that because I think a lot of times when people hear the word feminist, they think, oh, we're bashing men, but it, it really is we want to include everyone and, and that there are men out there that are supporting women and, you know, wanting, wanting the same things. So I think that's, I think that's really important. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, uh, if we're looking at uh, young girls, um, you know, they're being impacted, they're hearing these conversations. I think now more than ever, uh, they're, they're watching the news, we have social media. So what would you say to young girls right now that are either like, you know, around 10 or they're teenagers that they can uh, empower themselves during this time as well? I would let them know, first of all, that there's hope. If, if anyone's feeling discouraged, especially a young person, if you know the history, you know there were lots of discouraging times in the past, and you know that they got through it and things got better because of their work. And I think that's something that most activists I know, a good activist is an optimist. These are people who believe it's possible to change the world. That's why they're doing this. And so building that optimism and helping people to know, yes, you can make a difference. In the past, that's what's happened. One of the things I made a point to do in my book was to point out not just the most famous suffragists out there, but to take a look at everyone who contributed because as an activist, I found that movements aren't built by one solitary hero. They're built by scores of rank and file workers who are willing to communicate with each other and work together. And so I wanted people to get to know a lot of these less famous people who made important contributions and I think that's helpful for young girls to know because they might be thinking, I'm not a celebrity, I'm not, you know, I'm not a senator, I'm not one of those famous people, so there's not much I can do. But really, in history, it isn't just those famous people who made a difference. There were lots of just normal people who got involved, and that's the reason we have the changes that we got today. Mm, beautifully said. April, 
Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this book. I think this work is so important. And if women want to, and men, want to pick up a copy of your book, what's the best place they can do that? The book is Ask a Suffragist, Stories and Wisdom from America's First Feminists. It's available wherever good books are sold. If you go to my website, askasuffragist.com, you can link through there, from there to your local bookstore or to Amazon and get your copy. Excellent. And we will have that in the show notes, wherever you're watching or listening uh, to this interview. So once again, I recommend pick up a copy of April's book. Uh, find out the stories of other women that have been the, the trailblazers uh, so that you can use their own wisdom today. Thank you so much. And until next time, this is Heather Pickin. Take care, everyone. So if you like what you hear on this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Interested in becoming a sponsor or learning more about leadership for women's performance using neuroscience or business coaching, contact support at heatherpicken.com. And don't forget to grab my latest book, The La Dolce Vita Formula, by going to fearlessandfabulousbook.com. That's fearlessandfabulousbook.com. Dot com.